there were never strawberries like the ones we had that salty afternoon. I don't want to talk about why I'm in the restaurant and I laugh. Voice recognition technology in the left. Come in, come in, it's so nice to see you. This is The Scottishist and I am Laura MacDonald. In this festive edition of The Scottishist, we are going old school in terms of Scottish traditions. By ignoring Christmas completely and putting all of our energies into celebrating the new year known in these parts as Hogmanay. So, grab your friends, a woolly hat, a hip flask, slice of fruitcake. It's the last day of the year, so it's a party you'll be looking for. The celebration of Hogmanay is a big deal in Scotland. It starts during the day on the 31st of December and continues well into the following evening on the 1st of January. And if that sounds like a lot, then be assured that as the 2nd of January is also a public holiday in Scotland, you will get an extra day to recover. There are lots of traditions to be observed, some modern and some dating back a thousand years, probably more. And these traditions vary wildly across the different regions of Scotland. But they'll usually include some variations on getting outside, getting merry, and some element of fire. They are all designed to bring you good luck in the new year and to allow you to start off on the right foot. The word Hogmanay is a tricky one to pin down and there are a few competing theories about what it means, where it came from and even how to spell it or pronounce it today. I say Hogmanay because I'm from Edinburgh and that's how we say it, but you might also hear Hogmanay or Hogmoney or some other slight variation. Typically today, Hogmanay just means the last day of the year itself. But previously, it also referred to a gift of oat cakes given to children or another gift of food for visitors on the last day of the year. Because the day was associated with gifts of food, in some regions of Scotland, Hogmanay is also known as Cake Day. Or because of the rhymes that children would sing when they were asking for their Hogmanay treat, the day may also be referred to as Singing In. The etymology for the word Hogmanay is pretty unclear and there are theories that it might have French, Norse or Gallic origins. Although there are even more entertaining theories about the origin, which are almost certainly not accurate, but while at accuracy get in the way of a good story. My particular favourite of these wilder theories is one recorded by John McTaggart in 1824 and he said that the word Hogmanay derived from the practice in Edinburgh that lasses must give hugs and kisses to all the lads in the street at New Year so they would be heard shouting, hug me now, hug me now. It's bad etymology but it's a really fun idea. So why in Scotland was it traditional to ignore Christmas in favour of New Year? Well, we have to go back to the Reformation for our answer here because in the period after the 1560 switch from Catholic to Protestant church affiliation in Scotland, the new Presbyterian church leaders worked hard to rid their parishes of observance days such as saints' feast days that were associated with the old Catholic way of doing things and this included Christmas or Yule as it was then called. There was even a law passed by the Scottish government in 1640 banning the Yule vacation. The law stated that 
of the said Yule Vacons, with all custom and observation thereof, and findest and declarest of the same to be extinct, void, and of no force nor effect in time coming. In short, Christmas was cancelled. Yule was out. It was just too Catholic to be allowed. Christmas Day became a regular working day and the clergy would be keeping an eagle eye out to make sure that no one was too merry. Anyone caught celebrating Yule could be brought to trial or upbraided and punished and forced to repent in front of their local congregation. Of course, Scots at the time weren't going to let a little thing like a new law spoil their winter holiday fun, so they just moved the celebrations back a week. A new year became a time of feasting, lights, visiting family and exchanging gifts instead. There were a few amendments to this law over the next few hundred years and the 1640 Act was officially repealed in 1712. But as the church still disapproved of Christmas celebrations and Scotland was still morally at least ruled by the church, Christmas remained a very muted affair. Christmas was made a bank holiday in Scotland in 1871 but it was not made a public holiday until 1958 meaning that we were without an approved Christmas holiday for nearly 400 years. Of course, habits and traditions take time to change. So when I was chatting to my own mum about this, she recalled that as a child in the Western Isles in the 1960s, Christmas really wasn't a big day for them. They might be taken to church in the morning, but the men went to work and see as usual. Everyone would be home on the 31st, however, to celebrate the new year. But even today, now that Christmas has become an equally big festival in Scotland as it is everywhere else, New Year celebrations are still pretty much considered of equal importance. You just need to find the stamina to power through and keep partying. And what would those celebrations have looked like? There are street parties and organised Cayleys for the young and the adventurous, but for the rest of us, a more usual and traditional New Year celebration in Scotland will be with friends and family. As I said earlier, Hogmanay traditions vary widely, often from village to village. But it might look a little bit like this. First of all, if you have a real fondness for the old traditions, your day on the 31st will likely involve a lot of cleaning or working through your to-do list because bringing last year's tasks into the new year is considered inauspicious. So all those little household jobs should be done and all your debts should be cleared before the festivities kick off. How much of this is based in tradition and superstition and how much is just sound wee Scottish mammy logic for getting the house prepared for visitors is unclear but it amounts to the same thing really because Hogmanay is all about visitors, and you must be ready for them. Now, I'll come back to the customs that have made it to the modern day in a minute, but let's have a quick gallop through some traditions that have passed into obscurity. In the 18th and 19th centuries, it was common for children to go out guising for Hogmanay. In a very similar tradition to Halloween, the children would wear masks or costumes and face paint, and they would troop from house to house, singing and saying rhymes to ask the householders for a hogmanay. In this case, a little gift of food, usually thin oatcakes, perhaps if they were lucky, a slice of cheese too. This tradition carried on into the 20th century in some areas, but by then the oatcakes had been upgraded to sweet biscuits instead. In the Western Isles, particularly in Uist, there was an old tradition that the young men and boys 
would go together to every house in their village, singing and circling the houses to chase away evil spirits. In some cases, one of the lads would be dressed in an old cowhide, which would be beaten with sticks as the lads travelled from house to house. To improve their chances of getting luck in the new year, the householders would have to gift a little gift of food to the lads as well. Fire is a very important element to the New Year celebrations in Scotland. In his highly recommended book, The Gaelic Otherworld, John Gregerson Campbell describes the practice in Gaelic-speaking areas of keeping the fire lit throughout New Year's night. No one was allowed to go near the fire other than a friend, and as a backup, candles were also kept burning. There was a rhyme to be said when feeding the fire, and if the fire burned steadily throughout the night, then evil spirits would be kept away from the household in the coming year. If the fire were to go out, then this was a very poor omen for the year ahead. And none of the neighbours would be likely to hand over kindling to get it started again, as this was a sure way that evil spirits would be able to enter the home or spoil the farm produce in the coming year. In the modern day, most community events will include a bonfire or fireworks. Big events such as the massive street party in Edinburgh finish with a spectacular fireworks show. And if you do happen to be celebrating Hogmanay in Edinburgh, my top tip as a local is to climb up somewhere high. Calton Hill is my top choice to get a view not just of the fireworks display from Edinburgh Castle, but all the other hilltops in Edinburgh as well. On a clear night, you can even see the fireworks displays from the towns across the water along the Fife coast. In the northeast, they take fire traditions in a much more spectacular direction, with huge fire events right through January, such as Upheliat in Shetland and the burning of the Clivey in Burghead. Keeping it to Hogmanay night itself, though, the most spectacular is definitely the fireballs in Stonehaven. So I sat down with Ross Milne, the chairman of Stonehaven Fireballs, to find out a little bit more about this incredible spectacle. My name is Ross Milne and I am the chairman of Stonehaven Fireballs. Well, Stonehaven Fireballs is a a very long-running tradition whereby local members of the Stonehaven community walk up and down the high street of the old town, uh, swinging balls of fire around their head to cleanse out the old year and uh, to make way for the new year done on the, the stroke of midnight every uh, Hogmanay. What is a fireball? Well, it's each swinger's kind of got their own recipe. There's a, a loose set of guidelines there's, that we put out or that we, we, we enforce. There are a couple of different ways to make the said fireball, but they're, they're, they're loosely all made in, in the same way and they're all rigorously checked. Basically, it's a wire cage with a, a thick wire handle, I mean, anything between sort of two and, and three feet long. And it is filled with various things, uh, kindling, old rags, denim is quite a good one, fur cones are a good one, a lot of people use bits of coal, all sorts of things. Anything that will burn really, Um, but the the, the trick is getting it to burn long enough but not be too heavy that you can't swing it, that's the the trick. That sounds like quite a delicate balance and it also sounds like a health and safety nightmare we've we've got through some challenges over the years but you could you could absolutely i'm pretty sure you could safely say that if you were to try and uh, uh, propose such a thing nowadays that you wouldn't you would it wouldn't get out of the starting blocks you know we've got tradition on our side we've got history on our side this is something that's that stonehaven you know this goes back to the 
the, the earliest sort of written record that, that we have or I have of it on file is is 1902, I think, is the earliest article I have. But locals, the, the older locals will tell you it goes back further than that. You know, the fishermen in the town essentially started with them. You know, we're just carrying on tradition. So, yes, in terms of the health and safety side, it's changed a hell of a lot over the years. You know, when I, when I was a kid, we came down to the fireballs. There weren't any barriers. Um, everybody was just milling about the street. The last fireball swinger would go down the street and the crowd would pile in behind them. Then the first swinger would turn at the end of the street to come back and be faced with a wall of people that then had to get out of the way pretty quickly. But you know what? Everybody managed it. I, I don't remember any issues or anything. You know, obviously things change. It got a hell of a lot busier um, around the really t- late 90s, the you know, early 2000s. It really started to kind of catch the imagination of people, you know, further afield around the world. And so that with it brings brings changes. You know, you need to start looking after the people that come to see it, really. How many people are you expecting for Hogmanay? Well, there's a limited area. You, we, we, we are, it, essentially, it's a street, you know, or a couple of streets, rather, when you count in the sort of shore head of the, of the harbour. You know, we have a capacity of just over 10,000. That's monitored throughout the nights. You know, there are only certain entry points. So just by the very nature of the street and the, the town, we can only get in a certain amount of people. But generally, we're at about 10, 10,500 every year. You know, there's roughly 50 fireball swingers per year, give or take. And then we've got a large amount of volunteers that help us with marshalling and things. And then come evening time, the crowds will start, start to gather. Right? The actual spectators will start to gather at about 8 o'clock, although that seems to be getting earlier every year, to be honest with you. 10 o'clock, the sort of entertainment side of it starts, which is something that's very different from years years gone by as well. You know, over the last sort of, 10 years, 15 years, we've had to think about what we do to entertain the crowds that come down and stand for a couple of hours before they even see any fire at all. So we've got a pipe band, we've got um, a local Scottish Highland dance troupe, we've had, you know, street drummers and things in the past. And what something we started recently, we've got the mini swingers. So we've got youngsters of like 14 and under do a little parade swinging uh, like LED balls. So not actually fireballs, but something that kind of gives the, the effect and, and they get led by a piper and stuff. So they get a kind of, they get a feel for it and can obviously the crowd are going mental for them. So hopefully that's sort of an inspiring thing for the next generation. And then it's countdown until midnight. And on the stroke of midnight, the fireballs get lit and away we go. And so that procession, if you like, constant stream of people going up and down from the, the harbour, the top of the slipway right at the seaside, up to the to the cannon end, which is this west end of the old town high street. We get people marching up and down there, swinging, swinging the fireball. Um, and you go for as long as you can. And if you want to go up once and down once and, and chuck your fireball, that's you. That's fine. But generally, it'll then last for about 20, 25 minutes. We finish back where we started at the top of the slip right at the harbour. And we and each person throws their fireball into the sea to extinguish it. And it's quite spectacular as well. You know, you've got some folk can launch them for miles and um, some not so much. But uh, everybody takes their turn. Crowd cheers from the crowd, all that sort of thing. And then we have a, a big, huge fireworks display comes off the the braes, which are the, the the hills at the back of the harbour here. So, And who gets involved? Generally, local folk. You've got to have a, a pretty strong tie to Stonehaven. We do have folk that were born and bred here, but, but no longer live here. But also people that have moved here. Uh, people put in the work, if you like, in terms of helping us out and, and volunteering. And then generally, we, you know, we always try and accommodate that. So what do we know about the history of the event? 
Well, a lot. So there's a big line of thought that it, it could have ties in pagan, you know, times. You know, it's it's that burning ritual. It's that fire ritual of, of cleansing the, the, the old spirits, the bad spirits, and, and, and wishing, you know, greeting in the new. What we do know of Thurstonehaven is that certainly it was a lot of the, the fishermen, the fisher folk down this way that either carried on or certainly created our, our version of it. And that was, you know, building a, a fireball, something you could swing around, old nets, you know, tarry rags possibly bits of wood from creels or, or, or boats themselves, I'm not, I'm not sure. They would walk around the old town here with these balls of fire. Story goes that you know, walk up and down the street and you would stop in amongst your neighbours for a dram and leave your fireball burning on the doorstep, come back out again and carry on, you know, after your first foot. There's also a legend, if that's maybe a bit of a strong word, but legend that people would light their, their first fire of the year would be lit from the coal of the fireball or the burning ember of the fireball. But a nice little story. One thing that Stony does, again, we're right at the harbour, so like a lot of coastal places, they do a, a nippy dip on the, the first. But what it does mean is that we have to get the fireballs out of the harbour pretty sharpish after the, the ceremony itself. So uh, it's not uncommon for us to be in there at three o'clock in the morning with waders on trying to get the, the last remnants of a, a fireball out. Have you been out swinging a fireball yourself? Yeah, yeah. What's that oh. sensation like? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I think I'm about maybe 12, 12 or 13 years in, I think, I've been swinging a fireball for, uh, marshalling and things and helping out for about 20 years. It's uh, it's intimidating. It's a little bit scary, um, but it's it's very, very exhilarating. You know, there's nothing there's nothing like it. Um, it's it's you, you feel so proud, really, I think. That's probably the, the biggest thing when you're walking up and down the street and um, you're doing something so unique and meaningful for Stonehaven really without sounding so cheesy it's just brilliant if you're after a big party but not sure if you can manage the drama of the fireballs then the most spectacular party is definitely the Edinburgh Hogmanay Street Party which is one of the biggest shindigs in the world with live music and plenty of dancing in Princess Street Gardens which is the park in Edinburgh city centre Celebrations in Edinburgh in 1996-97 New Year were recognised by the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest New Year party, with approximately 400,000 people in attendance. Numbers have since been restricted due to safety concerns. Now, if you're not feeling the need to party with quite so many strangers, then do not worry. It would be quite usual for you to be at home up until midnight on Hogmanay. New Year parties in the community tend to start after the bells, by which I mean after the stroke of midnight, when the church bells would ring out to proclaim the new year. For many years there's been a good tradition of popular Scottish TV shows doing Hogmanay specials on the BBC before a live countdown and a broadcast of the Edinburgh Castle fireworks at midnight. It is still pretty common to watch all of that at home before getting your coat on and heading out visiting, or first footing as it is called. When I was a kid, it was pretty usual to have all the wee ones put to bed at normal time and then woken up just before midnight to see in the new year and then join the family for the festivities. In other areas, traditions for seeing in the new year include climbing to the top of a nearby hill as midnight approaches. In some villages, this will involve a bonfire as well. And for those at home, it would be necessary to open all the doors and windows to let the new year into the house. Wherever you are bringing in the bells, midnight is met with cheers of Happy Hogmanay, Happy New Year, You shake hands, you give a kiss to everyone nearby 
and you might open something special to drink when you get ready for a blast of all Lang Syne. This I'm going to come back to in a minute because almost everybody is singing it wrong and this is my opportunity to fix that. So if you've not yet departed in search of friends and family or neighbours, then it is time to get your coat and shoes on and off you go out into the night. In smaller village communities across Scotland, it's quite usual to have a gathering in the community hall where a bonfire or fireworks might be arranged and the whole village can get together for drinks and a ceilidh with dancing and singing. In the cities, there will be opportunities to go to events organised by a venue or a community group, but it's far more usual to attend a house party hosted by a friend or a relative. One of my favourite moments of the night is as you're on the way to your first destination, you pass other people on the way to their own festivities and you greet everyone you might normally ignore in the street with a wave or a handshake and a happy new year. There's something really magical about walking in the dark on a frosty moonlit night with a feeling of community all around you. Hopefully you're not out in the cold too long before you've reached your destination and you can knock on the door to find out if you are the first foot. First footing, as it is known, is the act of being the first visitor over the threshold in the new year. And there are strict traditions about what you need to bring with you and the kind of person that you might want to see. The luckiest first footer to cross your threshold is a tall, dark-haired man. He should be carrying a lump of coal, uh, something to eat like shortbread or a fruitcake called black bun. He must have money in his pocket and a bottle of whiskey. Personally, I think that would be a good omen any day of the year, so who can complain really? There is a vague theory that the tradition of welcoming a dark-haired stranger comes from the period of the Viking invasions, a thousand or so years ago, where blonde-haired northerners were bringing more problems than solutions. In years gone by, a first footer who was a young man with an armful of corn was an excellent sign of a prosperous new year to come. The unluckiest of first foots would have been anyone who arrived empty-handed, especially a woman. And if an elderly woman asking for kindling to restart the fire in her own home was to be your first foot, that was the gravest omen of all. Now, because of this preference for a male first foot, in times gone by, in some areas, it would be only the men of the house who would go first footing, leaving the wife at home, no doubt with the kids. Now, as obnoxious and outdated as that sounds, it doesn't mean that the women weren't having some fun of their own. There is a fantastic comic poem by a Perthshire poet called Andrew Douglas, which is called Hogmanay Hochmagandy, which is a lovely Scots word, meaning the kind of fun that consenting adults might enjoy together in private, which was inspired by the fact that two boys from different families in the school class that the poet was teaching looked like twins. In the course of this poem, a woman left to her own devices on Hogmanay, when her husband had gone out first fitting, welcomes a visitor of her own, and ends up pregnant as a consequence. I've included a link to the recording in the show notes because it's a great performance by the poet. Of course, before you headed out of your own door, you will have picked up your offering for the host. While the whiskey and black bun I mentioned earlier would be the traditional option, these days you should bring whatever it is that you like to eat and drink at a party. These aren't exactly gifts for your host, but more supplies for the night ahead. It would be considered very bad form to turn up empty-handed. But honestly, it's much worse to turn up with a rubbishy, cheapy offering, like a small bottle of a poor quality whisky, and to then accept a dram of the much nicer stuff that the host already has open. Don't be that person. 
nobody. Nobody likes that person. The rest of the night is spent singing, dancing, eating, drinking, playing games or even enjoying a bonfire. If you've got any older Scots at the party, they might expect you to do your turn. That is, to sing a song or tell a story. This practice is pretty unusual in mainland Scotland these days, but in the West Highlands and Islands, there is still a fair possibility that everyone will get their chance to entertain the Cayley. The party carries on as late as you can manage, and it would not be unusual to be walking home in daylight. New Year's Day, in most areas, this is a day to relax and to get some fresh air. Nowadays, most people will go for a walk with friends or perhaps take in a New Year's Day game of football or shinty. In the past, large games would have been organised between villages that would last all day. A newer tradition is that of the Looney Duke, where some hardy souls wash off their hangovers by going for a dip in the sea or a local river or loch. It's been a tradition in South Queensbury since about the mid-80s when a small group of local guys started the Looney Duke as a way of seeing in the new year and raising some money for charity. Over the 1990s and up until a few years ago, the Looney Duke became a big commercial event run by the organisers of Edinburgh's Hogmanay celebrations. It has, since Covid, been dropped from the official programme. But that happens to have coincided with an upswing in the popularity of outdoor swimming and the proliferation of community swimming groups all across Scotland. I sat down with Ashley Park for a quick natter about her involvement in organising a Looney Duke event in recent years. I am an admin of the West Lothian Dippers page. Um, So I help to do the New Year Looney Duke, which is always a big hit with our guys. (laughs) <laughs> Fantastic. Thinking back a bit, can you remember the first time you did a Looney Duke? So the first time I did Looney Duke was back in 2015. I did it as part of the South Queensferry official Looney Duke back when Edinburgh Hogmanay had a part of it. And I did, unfortunately, the year before try and didn't get a ticket. So I didn't go, which in hindsight now I'm like, well, why didn't I go? Because the water's free. <laughs> but it is uh, certainly something that I always fancied doing. I just never had the gung-ho to go and do it. And I just loved the fact that it looked such a fun and happy place to be. I never really had great memories of South, South Queensbury. And I, it's usually one of the places I'll go and do a lot of my thinking. I love being beside the water for that reason. And I think that's why I obviously got into the swimming side of things as well. But... Before I became a swimmer, this is how it started, was the Looney Duke. And actually, it was to change my momentum and change my memories to make them, rather than the sad, horrible memories there, I wanted to make them fun. So this was the way I thought I'm going to do it. So yeah, Fantastic. And um, did that hold when you first hit the cold water on the 1st of January? Like, that's quite an intense sensation. How did that feel? Yeah, so the first year I was actually dressed as the Tetley Tea Man, I believe. <laughs> so the atmosphere around about the whole place was absolutely buzzing. The drums were going, all the people were watching. Um, there was just a great atmosphere and everybody just was happy to be there, happy to watch. And I think the exhilaration of jumping into the cold water, you know, on New Year's Day and everybody's like, what are you doing? You're absolutely mad. Why, why are you doing it? because I want to I've never really enjoyed the fact that you know you go out on New Year's Day and have so much to drink and the 
places charge you a fortune to get home and double the prices to get in. And I just thought, you know, something different for New Year. Why not? It's a very cleansing way to start the new year. I mean, washes everything away, starts you afresh. It's, uh, yeah, it definitely gives you a whole new meaning to New Year. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. So when did you get into organising one with your own crowd? So I think it will be about three, four years I've been part of West Lothian Dippers now. And last year was the year they asked me if I'd come on board and help as an admin. Definitely a yes from me because it was such a great group of people and, you know, they made you feel welcome no matter where you went. And just think, you know, it's it's really good to be able to carry that on. And for me, you know, seeing the difference it's made to me. The second year after that, doing it with my sister. So the year after that, doing it with my sister and one of her friends and a couple of my friends. And then it's just got bigger and bigger for me. And it just gets better every year. You know, when I was telling everybody I was doing Looney Dukes and stuff, they were like, oh, that sounds great, you know. So we um, organised our absolute own one last year, but there were so many people that we didn't want to take over the South Queensferry one. But I was also very much, I want, I have to do it at South Queensferry. I've done it at South Queensferry for so many years now, apart from one lockdown where I couldn't. Um, I was like, no, I have to do it at South Queensferry. So we actually swim at um, the Binks in South Queensferry. Um, it's one of our favourite places and just kind of overlooks by the new bridge and it's just a, a great wee spot especially at night with the lights and things it's lovely nice view of the fourth rail bridge and it's just the best place to for us to go and you know everybody turned out and and last year and we had a great time my sister's actually a, a piper herself so I managed to convince her to come with me which she has unfortunately had to put up with a few years of doing the Looney Duke with me even before this because I dragged her along with me. But she, again, is not a swimmer and absolutely loves the Looney Duke. She just thinks it's fantastic. So, you know, it's good. Like, it's a good bond with my sister also, which I really like. But yeah, it was great. We had a really good turnout. And, you know, I always say costumes are highly, highly recommended. So, yeah, we had lots of nice big floats, flamingos. <laughs> all I was going to say, big... do you theme your costumes? <laughs> do you join together or do you just grab whatever uh, suits you? Do you know, turn up as silly as you want to be. You know, it's it's, it's more fun that way. <laughs> um, there's always a couple of people that give it 100%, which, you know, is absolutely hilarious. We all get a good laugh at that. And, yeah, um, it's just such a great, great wee atmosphere up there. Oh, fantastic. How many of you are there? What kind of a, a, a turnout do you get? Um, I think last year was about at least 50 of us um, because wow. that's why we did ours at the Binks. We just, we didn't want to overtake the fact that South Queensferry locals had taken their own back and were no longer part of the Edinburgh Hogmanay festivities and things, you know. So we wanted to, we did it up at the Binks where we swim a lot and, you know, keep our own so that, we didn't overtake theirs because that's just not fair either. And just, it's such a fun one that everybody wants to be a part of. And I think it's just, it's finding the balance and the time to let people have their dinner, but also be able to drive to get there when they're not hungover. So, <laughs> like, when do you do it? What's the, the setup for it? Um... Unfortunately, tide times kind of affect that kind of area. So, you know, we have to kind of be quite wise to which time it is. Um, I think last year was about 11 o'clock in the morning. This year's slightly different. I think um, tide times are looking about nearer to three, four o'clock. So it's going to be a, a mid-afternoon one by the sound of it. So you get everybody sorted out with hot drinks and everything as well? Or does everybody bring their own along? 
Um, everybody tends to bring just bring a bit of their own. You know, everybody's got some cakes from all their parties and things. So last year we had some right um, good selection on on cue. All the cake was his own going, and um, I think there was some non non alcoholic prosecco on the floor and some hot drinks about as well. So yeah, it's always good. Everybody brings a bit to the table, and it just makes it even more fun. Fantastic! Sounds like you put on a, a nice wee shindig. <laughs> A little fire to heat us up and we're all good, aren't we? (laughs) Once you're warmed up and dried off, then it's time for you to head home for the traditional New Year's Day dinner of steak pie. Traditional because you can make it in advance or pick it up from your local butcher and leave it in the fridge or the cold larder until you want to cook it. That way, you don't actually need to do much in the way of chores, but you can still enjoy a feast. The TikTok generation did not invent meal prep, bless them. After this, although I actually do think this is a tradition that is fading, it is off to another gathering. Or perhaps it's your turn to host. It's a good job that the 2nd of January is also a holiday. So, to finish off this Hogmanay episode and to get you ready for the bells, I just need to leave you with a quick word and the words for Auld Lang Syne. Auld Lang Syne, as we sing it today, is the version written by... Robert Burns for a publication called the Scots Musical Museum in 1788. I say that he wrote it down because this is just one version of a very old folk song and the Burns version includes some lyrics from a previous iteration of the song and some that he penned himself. The tune that we sing now is not the one that Burns would have heard when he was collecting the song but Burns thought that the original was kind of mediocre so he set it to another folk tune and here we are. Auld Lang Syne roughly translates as old time since, or more poetically, long, long ago. As it appears in the chorus for Auld Lang Syne, it basically means for old time's sake. It's a beautiful song about distance and friendship and memory, which is probably why it's attached itself to Hogmanay. What a better time to get together with people you don't see as often as you would like or to raise a glass to those who have left us behind. There are actually five verses in the Burns version of Auld Lang Syne, but at a Hogmanay party, most people will just sing the first and last with the chorus. And lastly, a quick note on the language. This song is in Scots, which is a cousin of English on the language family tree. It is a distinct language. It has its own grammar and vocabulary some of which it has in common with certain dialects of English, but that does not make Scots bad English. Although many Scottish people have actually been taught otherwise. So uh, hang on, I'm getting distracted here. I need to get off my high horse, write a separate language map episode instead. Recognising it as a Scots song does mean that you do not need to change the lyrics just because they do not make sense to your ear. It is okay. Trust yourself, you've got this. I'm not going to sing it for you, but if I get enough people signed up to the Patreon in the next few days, perhaps I'll record it for you there. I'm just going to read it out for you. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgot and auld lang syne? For auld lang syne, my jo, for auld lang syne, we'll tack a cup o' kindness yet for auld lang syne. And here's a hand, my trusty fear, and gie's a hand o' thine. We'll tack a right good willy wacht for auld lang syne. Now, if I hear one person singing for the sake of auld lang syne next Hogmanay, I will be round to have a word. 
You can find The Scottishist on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. And for £3 a month, you can support my work on Patreon. Thank you to John Boy for the theme music. Blaine Ur Vareivele. Happy Hogmanay, everybody. Voice recognition technology. And a laugh. In Scotland.